Maybe Google's smart getting smart. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast. I'm Joseph Dorowski here with Todd Mack, and each week we look at a great character and a great story. Today we're talking about Sean Thornton and Mary-Kate Danaher from the 1952 film The Quiet Man. Sean was played by John Wayne and Mary-Kate by Maureen O'Hara, and the film was directed by John Ford. Uh, This film is quite well regarded. John Ford won his fourth Academy Award for Best Director for this film. Uh, He's an iconic director with a career that goes back to the silent era. And an interesting bit of trivia I found out while looking into this, um, he directed a lot of films. He directed over 140 films. We don't actually know exactly how many he directed because some of his silent films are lost, so it's hard to get a hard count there. But that means he's always busy, and when he won the Academy Award for Best Director, he was not there to accept it because he was directing another film already. (laughs) (laughs) So John Wayne accepted his fourth directing Academy Award, or Ford's, John John Ford's, fourth director uh, Academy Award for him because Ford was off directing again. Um, and these three figures, Ford, the director, and Wayne and O'Hara, they've they've worked together several times in their careers. Um, all three had long careers. Um, Ford, as I said, directed over 140 films. John Wayne appeared in 142 films. Maureen O'Hara appeared in over 60 films. And they collaborated quite a bit. Wayne appeared in 24 of Ford's films. O'Hara appeared in five of Ford's films. And Wayne and O'Hara co-starred together five times. And all three of them worked together on three films. Uh, so so they had a, they all had long careers, and they, they intersected quite a bit. While we're on this trivia thing, do you know what those other uh, two films are that they worked together on? Uh, the Searchers is one. Uh, and off the top of my head, I cannot pull out what the third Ford and uh, O'Hara and Wayne collaboration was. but She, she was in Searchers? Pretty sure. I've got Quiet Man, Wings of Eagles, Rio Grande, McClintlock, and Big Jake. Oh, I missed Searchers. Okay, ignore Searchers. I was completely wrong. So, my are you dad, McClintock? <laughs> my dad is going to be furious with me. <laughs> my dad is, is uh, a, a John Wayne mega fan, I would say. So it would be Quiet Man, Rio Grande, and McClintlock? Uh, McClintock? Is that one Ford? I don't, or is it Wings of Eagles? I don't know. My goodness. I know Quiet Man is the second time they were in a film together. And I think it was the second time they were okay, in a John Ford film McClintock. together. It's, uh, it is Wings of, Wings of Eagles. It is a John Ford. So. Wings of Eagles, 1957. All right. Well, now that we've laid down some of the pedigree that's going into this film, <laughs> Todd, how do you know this film? Um, I actually think that I came to this film through you i think i have this vague memory of like being at your house around st patrick's day time with high sc- in high school group of friends in high school yeah and uh I, I did we watch it all the way through then i think so we may have I, I think we did i think that was the first time that i saw it was at your place um and then the second time that i saw it was today so <laughs> all right that's it uh the reason i probably showed it to you at at my house is that it was a constant part of this time of year <laughs> in my house growing up. It was always on on St. Patrick's Day. That doesn't mean we all sat down and watched it, you know, if we had to be doing homework or, uh, you know, had to go to work or whatever, you know. But it was always on in the evening on St. Patrick's Day <laughs> <laughs> at my house. So Such a great tradition. I'd seen, you know, in pieces, I've seen all of it many times. I don't know how many times I've actually sat down and seen the entire thing from beginning to end. But I'm quite familiar with 
with the film. And I, uh, I do need to say, I guess this might fit better in trivia. I, this was the first time I watched the Blu-ray and it is a beautiful, beautiful restoration that was done on the Blu-ray. Like one of the best restoration jobs on a Blu-ray, I think ever. Yeah. I, I watched, uh, the footage on Blu-ray and then at one point I had to go down to a different room where we don't have a Blu-ray player and I watched it on the regular DVD and it just looked muddy and flat compared to what the Blu-ray had. So if you have the opportunity, if you're watching this, to watch the Blu-ray version, I'd highly recommend that. There are entire scenes where, like, I didn't realize there was a background until the Blu-ray existed, like inside the bar or inside the church. (laughs) Like inside the church, there's some beautiful stained glass and stuff. And and normally it's like, I can't even see, is somebody walking down the aisle, like to get out of there? Is that, I, I don't know. You know, you can't tell yeah. with the with the DVD, but the Blu-ray, I don't know how they touched that up. You need to say that was it looks a, good. Uh, I think it looks good in, on DVD. It was beautiful, but I can't imagine what it would be like in, in Blu-ray. You need to say that's our producer, Andrew, who's popped in a couple times. Uh, just wanted to make that clear because we had a couple questions who, as to who the third voice was sometimes. Who grew, up, <laughs> who grew up in the same house that you did, which means he's also seen this. Uh, at least in pieces, you know. We, in, we actually watched the same Blu-ray at different times. No. <laughs> to prepare yeah. for this one <laughs> for this episode yeah this was my parents blu-ray yeah. i i wanted to say one more thing about how i came to this work so um, when i was in grad school uh we st- i studied a film there's a there's a spanish documentary film director called jose luis guerin and he has a documentary um from 1990 called innisfree in which uh guerin went to the little villages in ireland where they filmed quiet man and interviewed all the people, and they were, they're all talking about how they met John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara and John Ford, and they have pictures of them all in the bars, and it is it is a delightful, beautiful, also beautifully shot film, um, and uh, made a huge impact on me. So I thought I would at least mention it here. It's a really, really cool film, if you can ever get your hands on Yeah, that and was it's free. Oh, sorry. I was going to mention that this was one of the... Uh, um, I, a lot of this was shot on location in Ireland, not all of it. You can kind of see some of them where it's clearly a backdrop, <laughs> backdrop that was done on a lot. Uh, but a lot of the film was filmed there, and a lot of the locals in the small village that they used um, appear as background characters in, uh, in in some of the scenes. And then they show up in, in Giddings' film. It's very cool. Yeah. Um, also, one other bit of trivia. This is based off of a short story that appeared in 1933 in the Saturday Evening Post. Um, but that short story was by Maurice Walsh. And uh, um, the story I heard when I was uh, watching one of the special features is that John Ford really wanted to, he, he read that short story and he really wanted to make it, and he gave uh, Walsh $10 as an option <laughs> to have the rights to the story uh, <laughs> with the understanding that if it ever actually got made into a film, he would pay him more. And it took a while because uh, no studio thought that this would be a, um, a successful film critically or commercially. So he had to uh, finagle his way into getting it made. All right. So uh, we want to one of us give a brief synopsis of this show. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess before we get into the heavy spoiler area, uh, quick version is that this features John Wayne, who is kind of playing John Wayne, uh, <laughs> <laughs> returning to uh, his character name is Sean Thornton, and he was returning to Ireland. He's an American, but his his ancestry is in Ireland, and he wants to go back to his ancestral home. And once he is there, he immediately is smitten with this uh, redhead, played by Maureen O'Hara, and uh, wants to marry her, but he's got to jump through 
several hoops, and there's all sorts of uh, small Irish town politics uh, that get get brought into him being able to to woo uh, Mary Kate, and uh, so you get to see his interactions with all the locals in this process. So if that sounds interesting. Uh, this film, as we said, is available on a beautiful Blu-ray. It's also available on DVD. We'll have a link to where you could buy that on Amazon in our show notes. Alrighty. So, uh, you ready for the the full the full story here? Yeah, let's let's give them all the spoilers. Okay, I'm very excited about this because so this is our new format. I'm just gonna go through the whole entire story right now. And then we'll be able to talk about it. Yeah, we'd experimented with a couple different formats uh, in our first 12 episodes, and we'd found that we'd been running long when we were kind of combining our plot synopsis with our character analysis. So now we're going to try and run through the whole plot synopsis so that we don't spend 10 minutes trying to get to the end of the story. <laughs> so we'll have the end of the story right here for you right now. You want me to time it, Kay. Todd? Uh, sure, that'd be great. Deep breath. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the film starts uh, with a train uh, arriving in in a, in, a, in a little village in uh, Ireland, and uh, John Wayne gets off, and he's asking for directions. Uh, we have a voiceover narration by a guy who turns out to be Father Lonigan, who is the uh, priest of the town, the Catholic priest. Um, but uh, so the John Wayne character gets off the train, and he's asking for directions, and all these people start to fight about um, how what are the best directions to this little town called Innisfree. And then this little man called Micheline Flynn uh, uh, just picks up his bags and says, you want to go to Innisfree? I'll take you. And he picks him up, and they get in a little buggy, and they go uh, on their way to the village of Innisfree. On on the way, John Wayne sees this beautiful redheaded vision, uh, sort of uh, barefoot, uh, herding some sheep. Um, he thinks she's absolutely stunning. Um, and he says, he says, uh, is that real? She couldn't be. And, uh, and McLean says, well, with her temper and her freckles, uh, you're going to have a hard time. <laughs> you're going to have a hard, hard time catching her. Um, but, uh, it turns out that, uh, this Sean Thornton, John Wayne is Sean Thornton and he grew up in Innisfree and he wants to buy back the home that was his ancestor's home. And uh, so he goes to a widow woman who owns the land and makes an offer on it. She refuses. Uh, then this big uh, blowhard, old, <laughs> uh, big, great big guy comes in and he kind of does a <laughs> thing uh, that he does. And he makes the, w- the widow mad uh, because he's made offers on the land before um, and he says, there's no way that, that, that I, I told everybody at the bar, or somebody says that he had told everybody at the bar that there's no way she would sell to this American. And she says, oh, yeah, you want to watch me? And so she sells the land to uh, the, the land in the house back to Sean Thornton. Um, uh, cut. Now we're in the little uh, house with uh, Mary Kate, who is the, which is the name of the, uh, the redheaded Maureen O'Hara. And she's with her brother, who is the great big mean guy that wanted to buy the land. And he treats her very poorly, and she is a total spitfire. And, uh, and she's very sassy to him. Uh, then we're back at the bar. Uh, this guy, Danaher, who is Mary-Kate's brother, who is the big mean guy uh, that treats her bad, uh, is there in the bar. And, uh, hmm, what does my note say here? Hmm, something. Anyway, something <laughs> happens at the bar. 
and then uh, and then uh, uh, John Wayne goes back to go to spend the night at his house, and he gets there, and there's smoke in the chimney, and he's it's very uh, suspenseful. He's wondering who is possibly in his house, and it turns out that it is Mary Kate, who has been cleaning his house for him and lighting fire in the chimney place, and then uh, she tries to run out, but before she does, he grabs her and pulls her into his arms and gives her a great big John Wayne kiss and uh and then she, i want to say she, even if you've never seen quiet man if you've seen et you have seen this scene <laughs> and then she slaps him and then she kisses him before she runs away um and then uh we see uh cut now it's daytime now there's a couple uh who are called the playfairs they come and visit uh john wayne at his house uh miss uh the reverend playfair is the protestant uh, preacher. So we have a Catholic preacher, Lonigan, and the Protestant preacher, Playfair, which has a great name that plays into his uh, character. Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, so it, it's already been established that he loves, uh, so John Wayne loves uh, Maureen O'Hara. She loves him. So it seems like what could possibly the drama be? Uh, but it turns out that in this little Irish town, you have to follow protocol. So, uh, so John Wayne asks uh, the little McLean uh, Flynn to go Finn? Finn or Flynn? McLean Og Flynn. Og Flynn. Uh, to be his sort of go-between in arranging for him to be able to court her officially. So Flynn goes. He's very drunk. He makes this proposal. Um, and she's very excited about this. And then uh, John Wayne shows up to meet the brother and request her – uh, requests the brother's permission to court her, and the brother refuses. And um, she's very sad, and he's very sad. But he says, "Like, what's the big deal? If your brother won't let you date me, then like that's not that's not a problem." And she says, "No, like you don't understand. If my brother won't allow this, like if we can't follow protocol, then it's not going to happen." And so because John Wayne's kind of mad. She won't get her dowry because she won't get her dowry that she's been working hard for for a very long time uh, to get her furniture and some. Uh, some cash. So then um, the people, the townspeople, particularly the priest and the reverend and uh, Flynn uh, get together and they make this little conspiracy and they tell the brother that uh, who has been interested in the widow that wouldn't sell him the land for quite a while and uh, he's interested in her and they tell him the reason why she's not interested in you is not because you're a big misogynist uh, dork which he is, uh, the reason why is because there's another woman in your house. But if you were to marry off your sister, then the widow would be totally into you. And he's like, oh, great, then that's all I need. So uh, there's, a, there's a horse race. Um, and uh, there's a – anyway, at, while they're at the horse race, that's when they tell him about the, about the thing, uh, about that the, the, the widow wants him. And, uh, and Sean Thornton ends up winning the horse race but sort of spurning – uh, Mary Kate, um, because he's kind of ticked off at her that she won't just um, just let the dowry go and just be with him and uh, let protocol go. And so he kind of spurns her. But in the end, everything works out, and they're able to court with each other. And so the, we have this great scene where um, they go and court 
uh, and uh, Flynn is is riding. He's driving the buggy in there on uh, kind of opposite sides, and then he lets them take a walk, and he says, "No patty fingers, if you please," and it's uh, really quite wonderful. Um, and, but then they they escape from him on a bike, and then they run across the countryside, and then they have this great kiss in the rain in the cemetery, this ruined cemetery. It's all very dramatic, um, and then they get married. Uh, and as soon as they get married, then the brother says, hey, now that you're married, and then he actually just proposes to the widow right there. And the widow has no idea that uh, he wants... Uh, anyway, she doesn't want anything to do with him. She was not in on the conspiracy. She's very mad, and she embarrasses the brother. And then he gets mad, and he says, there's no dowry for you. And uh, so they're married, but uh, but there's no dowry. Um, and then he punches Sean Thornton, and Sean Thornton uh, gets knocked out. And while he's knocked out, he has a flashback where he remembers that he was a boxer. And uh, and while he was boxing, it turns out that he killed a man boxing, like Rocky Four style. Um, and that's why he's come to America, and that's why he won't. Uh, he he resists uh, getting into a fist fight with uh, with uh, D- Danaher. But why he left America, came to Ireland. Yes, that's not, that's uh, not what I said, but what I should have said. I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what came out of my head, but not uh, apparently out of my mouth. Um, so they get home, and she says, you know what? If I don't get my dowry, then we're not married. And if we're not married, then we are not going to um, consummate our marriage. And uh, so she goes and locks the, locks the door in the room. He's very mad about this. Uh, he just doesn't care about the money. It, d- it just means nothing to him. Um, and so <laughs> he kicks he kicks in the door, and he says... He says, there's not going to be any, any locked doors in our house. And then he... Except for the locked door in your heart or something like that? Except for the locked... Except for the locked door in your little heart. In your mercenary mercenary little heart. And then he picks her up and he throws her on the bed and the bed just collapses underneath her. It's like, whoa, this movie is from a different time. (laughs) (laughs) There's a few moments where it's like, oh... That's a little yeah, <laughs> it's sort of uncomfortable. I mean, it's sort of funny, but not. But if you think about it too hard, then it's yeah. Uh, I, it's I mean, this is something I'm sure either. we'll talk about. But yeah, the, <laughs> you feel in the modern era there are things that would not be put on film for a heroic protagonist to be doing in this film. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, so breaks the bed, um, and then she cries and cries and cries. She just wants her dream. And she wants to have her dowry. She works so hard for it. And he and goes she, and she, sleeps in a sleeping bag. He sleeps in a sleeping bag, and then everybody comes in the morning. Uh, to sort of arouse the newlywed couple. And she wakes him up and she says, please don't embarrass me in front of my friends. And so he goes in the bedroom and then comes out of the bedroom getting dressed as if they had actually been together in the night to kind of help her save face. So you can see that even though they're mad at each other, they actually still um, really care about each other. Um, and the friends had in the nighttime been able to get all of her furniture from the brother, but not the money. So the brother said, fine, she can have the furniture, but not the money. And, um, and John Wayne is like, great, we got your furniture. And she's like, well, if we don't get the money, then it's still no good. So they're still um, living together, married, but not um, sleeping together. And, uh, but he's really kind to her. Um, he's uh, planting roses. He buys her a new buggy. They go into town. She still wants the money. She goes and talks to Father Flan- uh, Father Lonigan, um, and they talk in Irish, which I thought was really interesting. This scene uh, where they're speaking in Irish. He catches a. F- uh, yeah, she says Irish. She says, oh. "I'm going to tell yeah. you in Irish." But like the old Irish would be the Gaelic, I think. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Uh, so then he catches a big fish. Then he loses the big fish. 
Um, then uh, Sean Thornton is really mad. He goes to the bar. He meets the brother in the bar. But again, he kind of stands down. Like he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to engage in a fight with this brother uh, because of this traumatic thing that had happened to him when he was boxing before. He goes and meets the Reverend. Uh, and the Reverend is a huge sports fan, and the Reverend recognizes him. Um, and uh, his name is Playfair, right? So he's this—he's—he's uh, he's into like games and gaming and um, betting and sports and, and tiddlywinks. And tiddlywinks. <laughs> he's playing tiddly. Have you tiddly tiddled winks. your last wink? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, and so the the Reverend tells him. Or so John Wayne. We get. I think that in this scene we get some something really interesting happens, which is John Wayne tells him the reason why he's so. Uh, opposed to going and asking this guy for money is because he just doesn't care about money. It was it was the the love of money and this this need for money that had led him to kill this guy. And he says this guy that I killed was a good guy. He he was a good guy and he had a family and a wife and kids. And I wasn't thinking about any of this. All I wanted was just the prize money and the door money. And I killed him. And I just like money is just not important to me. And the Reverend says, "Yeah, but it's important to her. Like she's worked so hard for it. And you have to realize that just because it's not important to you doesn't mean that it's not important to her." And in the meantime, the the uh, Father Lonigan has has basically told uh, Mary Kate, "You need to get over yourself. And no no married man should be sleeping in a sleeping bag. Uh, he should be sleeping in a bed with his wife." Um, and then, so the Reverend, uh, the Reverend Playfair asked, uh, John Wayne, is your wife's love worth fighting for? And he says, honestly, I don't know. I mean, you can tell that this guy's really, he really loves his wife, but he really does not want to fight anybody. Um, so, uh, then, uh, Reverend Playfair mentions that he's thinking about leaving because there's going to be a bishop visit the town and, uh, there aren't, there just aren't very, very many Protestants in this predominantly Catholic town. And he says, when the Reverend comes and sees how few people are in church, um, then they're probably just going to have to assign me someplace else. And uh, that's kind of sad, but it will come back in to play later. Uh, so John Wayne goes home, Marine O'Hara goes home, and they're actually kind of really sweet to each other, and we uh, get under the impression that they are finally able to consummate their marriage. And then he wakes up in the morning, and he's very happy, as one would imagine, uh, and she's not there. And um, it turns out that she's ashamed of him, uh, she tells Flynn, tell, uh, tell my husband that I'm ashamed of him and I'm going to Dublin and I'll be on the train. So uh, don't worry, we're almost done. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very fast <laughs> it's a long movie. plot summary. It's a long movie. It's over it two is, hours. It is a long movie. So I, I think I'm doing okay. So uh, they walk. Uh, so John Wayne goes um, to the train station and he, he is extremely upset. And he goes through all the train, all the doors on the, on the train, all the, all the uh, cars, until he finally gets her. And he grabs her sleeve, and then he drags her, like literally drags her back into town. So she's like kind of pulling against him, and he just doesn't care. He just pulls and pulls and pulls and pulls and pulls. Sometimes she falls down, and he drags her. Um, her shoes fall off. The, but all the townspeople are realizing, like, okay, something is happening. And so everybody's following, and so they start to Everyone from gather the train a crowd. Either. Yeah, yeah. All the people from the train, all these funny people at the beginning that were trying to give him directions. Everybody, they're the first group that starts to follow, and it gets bigger and bigger. And people are calling into town to tell the people in town, like, get ready, something big's going to happen. They, and uh, at, so, John, at one point, they established the town is about five miles from the train station, and there's yes. like another town between the two. And so yes. he walks five miles from the train station, dragging her past another town to get to Innisfree. And uh, <laughs> at one point. Um, just to talk about sort of the discomfort of this, like he really is, um, he really is not gentle to his wife. 
um, which is not right. But uh, but there's like a little lady who picks up a stick and she's like, here's a, a good stick to beat the lovely lady with. <laughs> He's like, thank you. And he gets the stick and he doesn't beat her. But um, but it is really kind of uncomfortable. And she, you can tell that his wife is like not enjoying this being dragged around by this man, by this great big John Wayne man. Um, and uh, but anyway, so that's what's happening. Uh, and he so he drags her all the way to the brother's house. And he throws her at his feet, and he says, "He says uh, you can have her back." And the brother says, "I don't want her. Here, take the money." And he gives him the money, and then, and then you get this this uh, moment of like connection between John Wayne and Marina O'Hara. Like she's really secretly happy that he has stood up for her and like for her dowry which was so important to her. Like, he's finally recognized how important this thing was for her. And so now it's like everything's okay between them. And she smiles at him and she says, okay, honey, I'll see you at the house. I'll have dinner ready. <laughs> and uh, and then um, the brother is very angry. Wait, and they wait, have a... you missed the key moment. Oh, they burned the money. Yeah, they burned it out. No, you didn't say that. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm so, sorry. Yeah, she so says, together yeah. they open up this furnace and they throw the money in. And it's like now that my now that I know that my husband is willing to defend me, now I just don't care about the money anymore either. They throw the money in the furnace. They walk off. The brother is furious. He starts a fight uh, with uh, with John Wayne, which is always a bad idea. Like you should never just <laughs> don't ever get involved in a land war in Asia. <laughs> <laughs> And don't ever get in a fist fight with John Wayne in a movie. Particularly a uh, Ford movie. <laughs> particularly a Ford movie. Um, and then they have this colossal fight. Uh, it goes all through the town. They end up in they're, – they're fighting in haystacks. They're fighting in rivers. At one, and, and all of the townspeople are watching. They're all placing bets. It's very, very funny. There's an old man on his deathbed who is suddenly revived because <laughs> he wants to go watch the fight. Um, they end up at a bar and they're both exhausted. And so they end, they call it the end of round one and they go in together alone into the bar and they start drinking. Um, and it's kind of quiet and peaceful. And they, there's this sort of like recognition, like, Hey, uh, maybe this person isn't so bad. And then, uh, John Wayne knocks the brother out one more time. Then we cut, we're back at the house. Um, she has prepared dinner and John Wayne and the brother come. They're totally like slobbering drunk and happy and she's happy. Um, and then she gives them dinner and then the next morning they wake up and, um, the Bishop has now, is now leaving town. Um, the Bishop who had come to check out on the, on the, uh, Reverend and as he's leaving town, the Catholic priest gets all the Catholics together and he says, when the Protestant preacher drives by, let's all cheer for him. Like, like all, like we're good Protestants. And so he covers up his, his, uh, his, um, his collar, his collar so that they can't see that he's Catholic and they all cheer the Protestant, uh, minister so that the the bishop will think that he has a great big congregation. So you see this kind of moment of solidarity and then, uh, John Wayne and Marina O'Hara go back into their, a cute little cottage, and that's the end. Cut scene. Uh, it does say that uh, the brother and the widow do get married. Oh, and the brother and the widow get yes, married. That's Sorry. everything. That yeah, they they uh, they ride by <laughs> on the buggy. All right. How was the time, Andrew? Uh, about eighteen minutes. 
right, yeah. <laughs> it is a very long movie. Uh, Ford, it, it clocks in at two hours and nine minutes. I was going to say, Ford was told when he, he gave his cut that was almost two hours, ten minutes long, that he had to get it down to two hours or the studio wouldn't release it. So he, uh, he got the studio heads together and he said, I've edited it like I've been asked to. And he showed the film, and this is the first time any of them had seen it. And at the two-hour mark, which is at the start of the fist fight, this, the projector just turned off. He's like, uh, I was told I had to make it two hours, and I could not find a single scene <laughs> cut, so I'm just stopping it at two hours. <laughs> and they, of course, were hours. He's like, show us the fight, because the whole movie is building to this fight. And yes. uh, so he showed it to him, and they're like, we're going to release it like this. It's You, know, you don't need to cut. Find <laughs> ten minutes to cut. <laughs> um... Uh... I thought that you were going to say that he, like, made some moral stand, like, with the dowry. Like, <laughs> no, this is a two-hour and ten-minute movie. No, he didn't. Then... He just denied the producers the, uh, the fistfight, and then they decided to keep it in. <laughs> Good. All righty. Well, that's – I'm sorry. That's as fast as I could go. Well, I think we we kind of needed all that. Um, it is – as we said, it, it, it's, it's a really fine film, and I think it holds up mostly well. <laughs> There's a few through a few things that we've already hinted at that, that don't hold up so well. And also, as we said, this is kind of a new format. We're trying this this different style. We're also actually going to be talking about two characters because we could not find a way to separate uh, Sean Thornton and, and Mary-Kate. Uh, we kind of have to talk about both because they are so intertwined in the story. So, I guess, Todd, if we were going to try and do a quick character sketch of Sean Thornton, uh, what are some of the, the features that you'd say have to have to be mentioned? I just did an 18-minute summary. Why don't you... <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's, it's your, your turn to talk to Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I think we have the outsider. So he's he's the American. The, and even though he has ancestral roots, he doesn't understand the traditions and the uh, the dynamics of the small Irish village where he's come back to. Um, you need to mention his size because he is a giant compared to everyone except for uh, the brother whose name is Donna, Danaher? Will Danaher. 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 Yeah. Will Danaher. Yes. Um, I think we need to talk about uh, his... Uh, he, he has this deep love of Mary-Kate, but he doesn't make much of an effort to understand her at first. Uh, that's the big change. The big change for both these characters is this moment of understanding where they realized that even though they loved each other, there was something they were completely wrong about. So he believes Mary-Kate is mercenary, that she is after the dowry for money. And right. he does not understand the tradition and the pride that goes into all that that meant as a symbol, not for the money that it was there, but for the symbolic value that it had for her. And she misunderstood him thinking he was a coward because he wouldn't fight for her honor. And Does she ever fight? She doesn't ever know that he's not fighting because he's killed somebody. No, the mm. reverend's the only one that ever finds out. The re- reverend's the only one that yeah, ever knows. He has the uh, Sean Thornton has a secret, and he wants it to stay a secret. He does not want yeah. anyone to know that he was a prize fighter, which I think is a uh, you know besides the the love of money, which is the deeper meaning. But one other reason he doesn't care about the dowry is he's got plenty of money. <laughs> like money, right. money doesn't matter to him because he was <laughs> a very point, successful sure. boxer. At one point, <laughs> Flynn says to uh, someone else in the town, "He's like, oh, he's a millionaire, like all the Yankees." Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I, I think those are some of the key key attributes and I, it's kind of like when we talked about humphrey bogart uh this is john wayne being john wayne he's not Absolutely. stretching himself into you know into a new role on the side it looks i mean his wardrobe is a little bit different and the context is different i mean and that's what stands out to me as far as this being a john wayne film is that this is john wayne but he's not a cowboy and he's not a soldier right 
but he's and, still... Uh, but well, he, he still he, has all of his character traits are exactly the same. Right, and we, we see him as a fighter at the end, but throughout it, you're missing the kind of machismo that you associate with, with John Wayne. Uh, you know, the man who... I guess he's still the toughest man in the room, always, but he's not... Right swaggering with it the way he is in a lot of his other roles. So there is, I guess, a That's little true. a little more nuance than we see in some of his other uh, uh, other performances. Joseph, did you uh, did you count this time through? I, okay. <laughs> I try every time I see some of this film to count how many times John Wayne lights up a cigarette because it is pervasive throughout this film. Uh, and he died of lung, lung cancer, everyone. <laughs> so, uh, which is also, it's not just smoking, which at the end of his life, he was, uh, an advocate against smoking, uh, cause he, he'd been seen smoking in so many of his roles, but he was also suffering from lung cancer. But he, one of his, his later films filmed in a region of the Nevada desert where a lot of the cast and crew died of cancer. And so there may have been a connection <laughs> uh, <laughs> there, uh, in, uh, some, some earlier bomb tests may have been done in a region where they filmed. So how many, how many did you count? Uh, I, I, I got to about 10, but I, I always get, I count at 11. I, got, I get lost in the film. I, I, it's hard for me to keep track because I get, I get so lost in it. I got 12, which was still significantly fewer than I yeah, always felt I, like there were. Like I was watching and, and there was actually until the second hour, he only smoked four and, mm-hmm. and three of them were in the first, you know, 15 minutes. Like I, right. I, I kept track, like he, he strikes a match against his shoe a couple times. He strikes a match against a rock, the beam of his house. He lights it off an oil lamp. <laughs> you see him and he, he throws the cigarettes down very aggressively when he's done with them. yes <laughs> yeah it's a good thing it's not a dry countryside where he's at that's true <laughs> that is true so uh and what about her she's um she she's is fiery. feisty yes fiery yeah feisty. <laughs> she's definitely a redhead um and i mean stereotypical redhead right she has the things that redheads get labeled with that they obviously those are stereotypes, but she embodies right. them in this character. We know that people are people, and there's all exactly. sorts of kinds of people, even of all different kinds of hair colors. But these kinds. But she embodies the stereotypical redhead. She's fiery. Um, she's sassy. Uh, she's a very beautiful, um, and she's um, anyway. That's kind of her. I think. Well, I was gonna say uh, in the town, like everyone when Thornton first comes, everyone is. Very subservient to Danaher, except for the widow Talan. But mm-hmm. like he's kind of the dominant force. But she does not, even though she's his sister, and you know he's the landowner, and she's you know she cooks the meals for him. She is not <laughs> subservient to him in uh, the way they communicate with each other or, inter- or interact. Yeah, I think that this film is interesting as as far as um, this female protagonist is concerned, um, because. She is so much a product of her upbringing, right? Of her context, and so she's not like, no, I'm not. I'm gonna totally go against convention, and um, and I, and I don't care about the dowry or traditions of my people. Um, and she is, she is very interested in in filling. A, the traditional role of a woman. She wants to be a wife and a housewife. She wants to be a mother. There's a, lot, a, a few different times when you can tell that she kind of aches to have children. Um, and she likes to take good care of her husband and she likes to make him meals. Um, but at the same time, so you would think like, oh, well, she must just be a total milk toast, and she just isn't. 
and she's strong and she stands up for what she believes in and her decisions push the film uh, during much of the film. And and so I think it's really interesting to see that kind of contrast between um, – it's not like she doesn't want to be a traditional woman um, or fulfill like a traditional woman's role, uh, but she also does not um, – She won't settle. Just She did, won't settle and she doesn't just bend to the will of all of the men in her life. Far from it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's interesting because we've said, um, you know, this is John Wayne. We've compared it to uh, Humphrey Bogart from Casablanca, which we talked about earlier. And if you compared Ilsa to Mary Kate, there's no no comparison to the way these two two women have their roles in the story uh, and uh, are part of the narrative. Because Ilsa just kind of gets passed around uh, by by the men in her life. And as you said, Mary Kate drives a lot of this story. Yeah, and it it, it makes the abuse i mean i guess we i guess we could call it, i mean she is she is just manhandled by john wayne uh twice and the, the twice that i can think of once when he throws her onto the bed which is sort of which is sort, sort of funny i mean like it's it's sort of a laugh out loud moment because it's so unexpected um but he really just like picks her up and tosses her onto the bed um and then this other like a very uncomfortable scene where he's dragging her across the countryside um, and as you said, there's this moment where there's implied that there's expected treatment of women <laughs> you know, yeah. that is very dark and problematic. And it's treated as a laugh out loud line. Like this is a punchline when the old lady says, here's a stick oh, to, beat, totally. to beat the lovely lady. Um, and it is, in some ways, it, it almost softens Sean Thornton in that he clearly, he takes a stick, but there's no way he was going to use it. You know he's not going right. to use that. Right, right, so right. it's, there's a level of abuse that's happening, but it's not what... I guess would have almost been, I mean, you can talk about tradition so many ways in this film. Uh, this film is, is, uh, in a way it's kind of like Fiddler of the Roof where it's, it's so much of it is about dealing with changing, right. uh, the changing nature of tradition, but still finding value in those traditions, which as we said, Mary Kate does like, it, you know, things shift. It's not the dowry for the money, but the dowry as a symbol, it's not, um, you know, their, their courtship doesn't follow all the rules that would have been, you know, previously established. So they're, they're kind of half following the traditions, uh, yeah. but introducing change at the same time. And it's just hugely, I, I, I think uh, this film, the more that I think about it, the more kind of interesting it becomes to me because of this, um, because of the way that she, because of the way that she's treated, but also because of the way that she acts. So there, there's a way to read this which says, well, she actually really likes that. I mean, she wants a strong man. She wants a man to, to be the man in her life because she wants to take – she wants that, that traditional woman's role. She, she needs a man that will fill the traditional man's role. And in that society at that time, that was that w- the man would be expected to be sort of uh, strong and to be able to make his wife do what she needed to do whether she wanted it or not uh, which at the same time is hugely problematic <laughs> when you think about like uh, abuse in general and like oh well she just wants it and so i mean all of that is so 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 wrong and so problematic but at the same time when you look at things uh, when you're when you're watching films or reading books that are about a different time there is a part of your brain that you sort of uh, – you have to turn off 
in order to get into the story at all. Otherwise, you'd be like, why am I, why am I watching this? They're just smoking all the time, and they treat the women horribly. This is a horrible film, uh, which it's not. I don't think it's a horrible film. I think it's a, beautiful, uh, it's a beautifully acted, beautifully written, um, beautifully made film with a really interesting story and very interesting characters that has some things that are really problematic. Maybe I'm rambling, but... No, and I agree absolutely with, with, with what you said. And I think... Um, part of us being able to recognize how problematic it is is that we need to have these kinds of discussions. Like, we don't need to shy away and just say, oh, you know, it's it's from a different era. I think we need to acknowledge <laughs> that there are some some aspects of this that are not acceptable and should not have been acceptable even if they were. But understanding that those were acceptable can help us to understand where we're at today. And, and to even recognize her as a strong female character, uh, even given all of the problems with the way that this that this film shakes out especially especially in this uh, end scene i mean the, the way that it ends is like oh man i just feel so uncomfortable when they come home and they're so drunk and he yells and like, he, oh i'm back he yells, oh, woman I'm of back, the house wife. bring us some food or something yeah. like that <laughs> he, he so, says he says hurry it up while he's pouring beer all over the tablecloth all over this and, beautiful tablecloth but she has a reaction to it where she turns super fast and is you know kind of offended that he would say such a thing and then she turns back to what she was doing and kind of smiles to herself that he is treating her that way it's it's a very odd moment i think yeah but i but i think that the only way to understand that is to recognize that this is the life she wanted whether that's whether we agree that she should want that life that's the life she wanted. That's the role that she wanted to play, and that's the man that she wanted to be with. She wanted to be with a strong man that would push her around. And, and that's crazy for us to imagine that any woman could want that. But, that, but these, these kind of quiet smiles to herself and these moments of kind of self-reflection that only we see tell us that that's exactly what she wanted. And and it's what makes the it's, – for me, it's what makes the film so interesting, so uncomfortable, but also – um, makes me think a lot about about stuff that I think it's important to think about. I think oh. I want to throw something in there with um, with Sean. He changes throughout the film to become a little bit more that man than he is at the beginning. At the beginning of the film, he's very polite and and very conscientious about his behavior. Like he's he's telling someone, you know, somebody brought him a, a flower to to put with his house, and he says, "Well, that's de- dark." awful nice of you you know he, he right. he's <laughs> censoring himself but, and, but at the same time he's not he's not bowing to the conventions right so he yeah. gets in trouble right away for being too forward and aggressive because he's attracted to mary kate right um I, there's so many interesting things because yes he is trying to conform but in other ways he doesn't at all make any effort <laughs> to conform. like he says this is, so many of these things are stupid uh that he's being asked to do or expected to do before he's allowed to woo mary kate so the only way that I can make sense of their relationship is um, is through this lens. And I've mentioned John Bowlby before on this podcast. I'm going to mention him again because I just have him on my brain. And so I'm going to give a tiny little synopsis of him. I know we're running short on time, but I just have to say this because um, it, it really helped me to understand this kind of odd relationship between these people. So John Bowlby uh, is a sociologist, uh, British. Uh, he's hired during uh, just after the Second World War to study the effects of um, o- being orphans. Uh, the study the the effects of not having parents on orphans because there's lots of orphans in Europe after World War II, as one can imagine, but probably doesn't ever think about. 
Um, so he goes in and he comes up with this uh, this theory that's called attachment theory. Um, and the basic underlying tenet of attachment theory is that all human beings need to have a, an attachment figure. They need to have somebody that they can count on. Uh, and the the three big things that somebody has to do to qualify as an attachment figure is one, they have to be physically close. Like there has to be actual physical, like skin on skin contact. Uh, the second thing is they have to recognize what the needs of the, of your, what your needs are. And then they need to act to try to, uh, alleviate your, your pain or your suffering or to fulfill your needs in some way. And this whole film to me, I think can be read as them, uh, first of all, becoming physically close to each other, and then second of all, needing to recognize what the needs of the other one is. And he changes his behavior to meet what her needs are. She needs um, her man to be a certain way, and his behavior changes over the course of the film to match that. And she and he needs her to be a certain way, and she also accommodates and the scene that right before they consummate their marriage there's this very tender scene where he comes home and he's learned a lot and she comes home and she's learned a lot and she's like lighting his cigarette and then he's helping her with this thing and then they get closer and closer and then they just cuddle and it's like it's like okay they finally now they're finally on the same page so anyway attachment theory this is not the last time you'll hear about attachment theory if you keep talking to me about stuff because i just think about it all the time Right. I, um, you said they're on the same page, and they're not quite all the way there yet. Uh, I, I think they've both seen... <laughs> That's true. They've seen what they need to change in themselves, but the other person hasn't seen it yet. Yeah. Uh, and so, the, I mean, the next day, when he goes and he's aggressive and he grabs her, and then he's willing to have a fight with her brother to defend her honor, and where she burns the dowry, that's when they both see, okay, he yeah. will stand up for me, he is not the coward I thought he was, and okay, she, this really wasn't about money, I, you know, I was worried that I married someone who's just obsessed with money, and she's not worried about money at all, actually, it is about the symbolic nature of all, you know, what the dowry meant for her work, and um, her, you know, her mother is, you know, all these other issues of her identity are tied up within the dowry, and which is something that he didn't understand before that night. Yeah. I mean, on a certain level, attachment is about knowing that somebody has your back. And, uh, and, the, and that moment when they burn the dowry and he's willing to fight the brother, they both know, like, he knows, okay, she's got my back, and she knows, okay, he's got my back, and uh, their relationship can move forward. It's, I think it's pretty cool. Right. Uh, one other scene I want to talk about, um, which, <laughs> I mean, for how much we love, we, we both, like, thoroughly seem to enjoy this movie. There's some things that make us a bit uncomfortable in watching <laughs> it. Um, and... There's this weird sequence where uh, after he's been a little too forward at the church, like he's, he, he knows yes. he's attracted to Mary Kay and he offers her the water from his own hand. And, you know, they're like, no, you don't, you don't play in the holy water. <laughs> you know, that's, you don't play patty fingers in the holy water. Yeah, it's not for courtship. <laughs> um, and then there's a scene in the bar where the brother, you know, says, you know, why are you treating my sister that way? And he's like, I was just saying good morning to her. And the brother says, yeah, you said good morning, but you had good night on your mind. And John Wayne just instantly, like, this is the fighter John Wayne, where he's like, that's a right. lie. He says, that's a lie. Um, and and they don't fight, but you get the sense that this could be a moment where even that accusation that he was having untoward thoughts toward Mary-Kate is enough that yes. he would have fought the brother right then and there. Uh, and then the very next scene is when he goes to his cottage, and she is has been cleaning it, and she tries to run away, and he grabs her and pulls her back into him and kisses her in kind of a violent way. And what do you make of that 
that sequence, I guess. I it's something I've never really been able to put all the way together. The the kind of disconnect between his yeah yeah you know, yeah I get, no I, it's not I, I get what you're saying it's I'm not trying. you know I'm not just physically attracted to her you know and I don't just want a physical relationship uh, but then it's it's um, I mean it's an iconic scene like I said it's used in E T <laughs> in a moment where E T well, is watching I, that on so, the screen but I, I don't know how to connect those dots I guess well do you think that it's possible I mean this is the very first time I'm thinking about this so probably an hour from now I'll have a way better answer but. Uh, the accusation is not, oh, you're thinking about having a physical relationship with my sister. The The accusation is you're thinking about having sex with my sister. Right. Which is not the same thing as kissing her. Right. And then letting her go, mm-hmm. which is what he does. Right. Right? Yes. So I can – I. it would be crazy for John Wayne to say, you're a liar. There, I haven't even thought about kissing your sister. Right. Right? Uh-huh. I mean the first time he sees her – he, he is at least thinking about about kissing her, you yeah, know. There, I mean, oh, but we need to say that I love the music in this film, and when he first lays eye, eyes on her, there's this harp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. <laughs> Uh, the, like the now it's you know the uh, almost stereotypically cheesy you know harp refrain plays which you know she right. said, and she gets a hero shot with the wind blowing in her red hair. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Um, and her bright red skirt, yeah. and so I think that the, I think that the, it, there isn't. I think that doesn't have to be a disconnect. I think that you could be offended that somebody would think that your thoughts were um, were improper. Uh, it just it's throughout this film. There's a disconnect between what John Wayne considers to be proper and what the people in the town consider to be proper. Like he has his own code, right? Yeah. But he but in his code, there's nothing wrong with kissing a girl. Uh, even perhaps against her will. Right. There's, it's, no, it's the, there's it's nothing the almost wrong violence with... of that scene, which is where it, right. it gets so awkward. Uh, well, it's, it's it's the it's the Charlton Heston, John Wayne sort of like just man kiss. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing tender I'm about pulling the way in that he... and I'm laying my lips on you. <laughs> right. But and there's nothing. Uh, he sees nothing wrong in his code of honor, which absolutely exists. John Wayne in all of his films has a code of honor. Um, but there's nothing wrong with him, you know, hopping on a bike and taking off and, and escaping from the, from the, their, uh, their chaperone and, and running through the, it's just weird to think of John Wayne having chaperone on a date. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that he's, he's operating inside of what he considers to be a moral code, his moral code. Uh, it just happens to differ pretty significantly from what the people in the town consider to be proper. Right. And so I think that uh, anyway, I, I don't see I don't see a huge problem with that. I, I think that um, when when the brother says, "Oh, you're thinking about good night or good morning or good night or whatever," um, I think John Wayne thinks that the brother is implying that he would take advantage of her. Like he, that, he would basically I don't know rape her or right. <laughs> right that he would take advantage he would take her to bed uh, without her consent or before the time was proper or that that that's even kind of anyway and and I think that that's that thought's offensive to him and and I, I anyway I don't see a huge problem with it okay I I would say you know throughout the whole thing John okay. Wayne always has in mind marriage he always says well we're still going to get married you know he, he's right. always yeah. he is focused on following that protocol that's part of his code right. and and he's certainly not going to 
you know, move beyond a certain point until they're married. Right. But even, but even after they're married, how many men given, I mean, how many, how many men, especially we're talking about John Wayne, who is like the symbol of American masculinity for decades, right? In the U S and he's married, like he's legitimately married to this woman. And she says, I will not go to bed with you. And he says, fine, I'll sleep in my sleeping bag. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it says something about his character and the code that he follows that even legally married to this woman who obviously loves him and is obviously physically attracted to him. And he's and he feels the same way about her. If she says no, then, yes, he'll get mad and he might pick her up and toss her onto the bed. But he will not. He will not cross that line. He will not take advantage of that thing. And I think that that's what's so upsetting to him when the brother makes this, this right. uh, accusation at the, at the bar, that he does have a set of, uh, uh, he does have a code, he knows exactly what it is, and, um, and he's way more man than I think many men in our society today, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that when a woman says no, it means no. Right. And not, it doesn't mean like, oh, well, you know, I really want it, you know, some, something else. Uh, so I, I think that that, it is, is adds one layer of complexity to this already complex film, right? In which we've already talked about how how um, physically aggressive he is with her at so many different points in this film, and yet at the one point when you expect that he would be, he's not. Yeah, and and that's the point where he breaks down the door and he says, "There's you know no bolts or locks except the ones you personally put up," and so he's saying that he a physical those. a physical yeah. barrier. <laughs> is nowhere near as important as her emotional barrier or her, her stated barrier. He's saying, yeah, yeah. you know what you say, like, don't you dare think that a door is, is the way to tell me that like your behavior tells me what I need to know right. about how to behave. And when you say this thing, then that's, that's the way that it is, which, which again, adds this whole level of like confusion and complexity to the way that he treats her at the end of this film, except that he's convinced that that's what she wants, that that's what she needs, and he's willing to, to give it to her, even though to us, uh, you know, uh, what, 50 years later, we're like, oh my gosh, that's so uncomfortable. Yeah. It, given the parameters and the context, it makes sense for him to act that way towards her. And it doesn't, it doesn't diminish the love and the respect that he has for her. Right. Which seems totally weird. I yes. mean, even as I say it, I'm like, what am I saying? <laughs> but I, but I think that that's, that that's the challenge of looking at old art mm-hmm. in general, reading old, watching old plays or reading old literature, right. watching old painting, looking at old paintings. Yeah. You have to acknowledge the context and you have to recognize that people, the way that they saw the world, even as recently as the, the time of our parents was vastly different from the way that we see it. And it met, it, it, merits a level of respect if not even if at the same time we we don't like justify and uh anyway right i mean it's it's really complicated but i think it's really important to think about yeah and i would include along with the uh the violence of the you know the the long drag and the violence of throwing her on the bed the violence of that first kiss is something that is awkward and uncomfortable for a modern viewer uh, where you should, and I think we should feel like John Wayne. You're, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know that that's a line that you need to be crossing right there, um, right. because it's clearly against her will. He's pulling her into him, and he is just forcing a kiss onto her, 
Um, and then she slaps him. I mean, and it's a horrible <laughs> stage slap. Well, if you watch this film, watch oh, that stage. Yeah, slap. I, know, I, yeah, think, yeah, no, I, I think the point is that he blocks it because he's capable I don't of that. I, I'm not. I, to me, it just looked like a very badly uh, staged stage slap. I always, I, I thought, always thought initially swung, that he had blocked it. Yeah, she swung too but wide. But then listen and, to the dialogue. Yeah, because the dialogue does not match that he blocked it. The dialogue matches that he was just hit in the face. Yeah, <laughs> it's very. Oh. See, I always took it as as he legitimately just blocked it because she swung too wide, and and he's just like, oh, there goes, you know, I just block that. She she broke a bone in her hand doing that. Really? Yeah. According to wow. IMDb trivia. Oh, well, that. IMDb is never wrong. Never. So like so many things. Well, on we the are internet. pushing up. We're pushing up against an hour. I want to throw out for a last bit that I think something that makes these characters good is even though it's it's not their behaviors but like the motivations behind their behaviors like john wayne's knowledge that there's a line to not cross and 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 her choices to respect certain traditions and things like that those are characteristics that can still play in the modern era even if they wouldn't lead to the same behaviors and actions in a modern yeah absolutely yeah good point all right, well, Todd, any final thoughts on Sean Thornton and Mary-Kate Danaher? Okay, so my final thoughts about this. Uh, again, this uh, the film is beautiful, even in DVD. Uh, with the, that's obviously, like, I mean, even watching it, I could tell that the, that the film had been degraded. Uh, but my goodness, uh, the cinematography is outstanding. The soundtrack is beautiful. Um, and I think... Uh, it's been a while since I've seen uh, a film that made me simultaneously like so delighted and so uncomfortable, uh, which led to some really, I think, um, good kind of soul-searching and thinking about uh, relationships. Um, so I, anyway, I really enjoyed it. I think they're both uh, very Capelli characters. Um, I, like, uh, I like the this code that he follows. I like her um, spunk and her um, her uh, fidelity to the traditions. And um, anyway, I, I I really I really like them as a couple. I would I would think about putting them in my um, in my draft oh, for uh, great love couples. Yeah. Um, I I think it's fascinating to, to really think about the journey that they go on and when they have those moments of realization. And that they're both wrong. Like, they both have the wrong impression of this person that they deeply love. Which, to me, is fascinating. That they can be so in love with someone that they, they're they just absolutely off base on some key characteristics of them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yet, I mean, their love deepens when they find out more. It's not like the secret, uh, you know, true nature of them is, you know, something that's going to drive a wedge between them. Uh, learning more about one another even after marriage, even after, you know, if they've consummated their marriage and all this, learning more uh, deepens their, their relationship, it seems. And so even though we have these uncomfortable moments, and again, this is one that you said it's fascinating to, to watch and think about, or I think, it, I mean, it's one that you could also just watch and enjoy and, you know, not put the kind of thought or discussion that we've done. Yeah. Um, but as you put that thought in, it, it lingers like it's the, it's the kind of the you know the brainworm that, that just keeps burrowing as you try and take apart these characters and they stand up to that kind of scrutiny because they are fully formed individuals yeah you know these two characters these are not stock characters which John Wayne has some roles where he's playing a stock character uh, and, and this one is not necessarily one of those 
Uh, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. Remember, you can subscribe to The Protagonist in iTunes. And we'd also encourage you to leave a review there if you like what you hear. Uh, it may not seem like much, but really helps us out. Um, you can find links to everything we've talked about in the episode along with a list of all of our shows at protagonistpodcast.com. If you want to suggest a, char- a character for us to talk about or comments about the podcast, you can send us an email at feedback, feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or you can find us on Twitter. We are at protagonistpod. You can also find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Todd K. Mack. He's at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. Also, please like our Facebook fan page called Protagonist Podcast. Uh, we love any comments, corrections, or inter- any interaction, and it's uh, been picking up lately, and that's totally awesome. So thank you for that. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. So long. Before we really cut out, um, I did just learn today, NPR is doing a little a little poll thing. They're trying to put together a guide for podcasts, and they mm-hmm. are calling for the public to let them know what are some of their pa- favorite podcasts and best episodes of those podcasts. And so I think we'll get a link to that uh, up on our on our page and share that with people. And I mean, we have a small following, but I think you know it's not going to hurt to uh, get someone at NPR maybe to check us out. Are you saying we won't be dethr- dethroning cereal anytime soon? Uh, well, I mean, they're on hiatus, aren't they? <laughs> I know. This is our chance. <laughs> get, get it, the get while they're the good. While the giant is sleeping, we'll sneak in like Bilbo Baggins. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, it's a small following, but it does seem to be steadily growing. So thank you all who have shared uh, any you know, with any friends uh, about our, our podcast. Any way that you can share it in person or through social media, we appreciate it. Uh, as hopefully it'll continue to grow. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Once again, so long. When Mary-Kate's name is hyphenated, I want it to sound hyphenated. When it's not, I want it to sound not. (laughs)